Welcome to the Of Leadership Podcast, episode 53. I'm John. I'm Alex. And I'm Zach. And the podcast we'll be speaking about today is about relationships from three perspectives. So it should be a good podcast. Before we get started, we have to do a recap, gentlemen, from our last podcast. And if my memory serves me correct, we had a guest on our last podcast, John Barth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, you want to give a recap of our last podcast? Yeah, so John Barth reached out to us and was like, hey, i uh, love to be on. And you know what? Funny thing is, is we had him on and it was, uh, it was a good time. He was a coach and that led him into some trying times where John Barth went from being a coach to not being a coach. And that took a turn where he was like, hey, this is not the way I want to be. How do I change that? And that sort of led him into turning journaling into an opportunity to, I believe he would say, become 1% better each day. And so he, uh, at some point released a book called the one percent journal which is 366 prompts for i guess becoming the person you want to be and you're mm-hmm. like thinking huh 366 that's a weird number i bet he includes the leap day he did we he didn't did. ask him that that's that's what we should have uh, asked but that's not what it was a bonus bonus day bonus, bonus day uh-huh. yeah uh, not a Bowen's Day for all of you BFTS <laughs> fans out there, but uh, so BFTS that's Bowen's, that a different Bowen's Family Theory System. Theory System, <laughs> yes, weird. right. It's, just, it's a knockoff on Bowen Family System yeah. theory. China, you know, everything's cheaper. Um, not with the tariffs. Too political. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, John Barth. Yeah, I think is. Available at John J O N Barthbooks.com. So yep. if you want to check out that website, he's got some good stuff there, and uh, we appreciate having John on there. So tonight is episode 53, mm-hmm. and in light of 53, uh, I know that you all are, are history experts. Yes. Uh, 1953 was the end of the Korean War. Hmm. Oh. And, and the Korean War started in 1951, it ended in 1953. And essentially, if you study the war, after two years of fighting and countless deaths, uh, the line between North and South Korea did not budge at all in the end. And I think about tonight's podcast of relationships and how sometimes in relationships of this tension between two people that there's give and take. And in the end, two years later, the, the couple, the, the, the people are just not any better off. So hopefully tonight's podcast as we look at relationships from three perspectives uh, you'll find yourself better off and not like those nasty Koreans <laughs> <laughs> I have to say also one of my favorite exhibits in Washington DC it is it the, is a pretty awesome it is a pretty it's really cool it's it's kind of haunting it is very haunting yeah yes. just like you ex- described the war Pretty hot. I mean, really, yes. nothing really happened. No, right. Except pretty sad. People died. That's right. It should be haunting. Uh, th- this is also our first podcast. My first podcast, drinking scotch. Mm-hmm. So yes, because uh, somebody mm-hmm. got engaged. Yes. Yeah, so, do you want to talk about nodal events and, yes. and the scotch, please? So, um, Zach here. Uh, congratulations, you did get engaged oh, on Monday. Thanks. Um, what, what's that date, sir? Uh. June 17th? <laughs> 17th. You yeah. might want to lodge uh-huh. that one in there. Uh, I've heard it's not that. I hear everyone that's true. forgets the marriage that marriage date is yeah. probably the one. Four, five, eighty-nine. That was our engagement, uh, by the way. Booyah. I know oh. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's helpful because, you know, four and five add up to nine. It is. Boom. Where's the eight come from, uh-huh. though? And I heard you're a math whiz. 
Uh, I am a math whiz. I can do math in my head pretty quickly. <laughs> two plus two, four. That's an example. <laughs> but but back so, to the nodal so yeah, event so and the nodal events are those big events in our lives that really change our system that we live in. And so um, Zach and I decided, I don't know, maybe six months ago that we were going to um, give each other expensive alcohols for different nodal events that happen in our lives. So I got my principal licensure. We did a semi-nodal event, which we got like a cheaper scotch that we share. And in this case, he's engaged. He got engaged. I gave him a nice bottle of scotch. Yeah, for this engagement. isn't necessarily defined in... Uh you know, nodal events, but we have what we call semi-nodal events, which are things that are important, but not like, uh-huh. not, not like the big dots on the timeline, but yeah. the little dots. It's kind of like wearing the polo to the semi-formal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like the polo undershirt is recommended, but not required. <laughs> then you got, you know, the full on nodal event. Yes. Right. And then we have what we call Misha nodals, uh-huh. um, which, for those of you who aren't aware, Misha is Alex's dog. Uh-huh. And Alex and I haven't really discussed this, but thinking through this, like <laughs> we are mostly celebrating positive nodal events. A nodal event also might include a death of a family member yes, or something, right? For sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we have definitely thought through the loss of Misha because our lives will forever be changed yes. for the worse. <laughs> Because she has changed it for the better. And then from Snarch, we're going to need the liquor for the self-soothing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. David Snarch, wonderful (laughs) writings. Thank you for the self-soothing that's sabotaged my mental state. Knowing what I know about David Snarch, though, it also, it sounds a little dirty. (laughs) Doesn't it? Danger with that book, for sure. Yeah. Danger with that book, especially chapter nine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Well, guys, I I was thinking about uh, the podcast earlier this week, and and as I heard the news of Zach getting married, and I I thought, here we have three of us at the table, Mm -hmm. and we have people at different life stages. We have different ages, different experiences, and, and different levels of you know, commitment in terms of, so Alex single, yep. Zach engaged and myself married. And this podcast is not about marriage only. It's about relationships. And the, the essence of Bowen theory is the tension between individuality and togetherness. And it's manifested in a number of relationships, but particularly dating ones and, and that's an example of that so tonight we're going to talk it's not a, po- a, a it's not a a podcast uh on dating but mm-hmm. it's it's a podcast on relationships and dating is part of that so looking forward to it guys yeah just an exploratory podcast of how do you stay a self and wh- what are the bowen family systems theory pieces of these relationships and how do they change as you go from one maybe state to the next we had Avram Natigal on, and we referred to Avram quite a bit, and was a good guest here six weeks ago. But on that podcast, he talked about a book called Passionate Marriage, and, and he mentioned that everybody, David Snarch said, everybody gets married for the wrong reasons. And if you wait until the right reasons, then you may never get married. And I was really interested in that concept that none of us 
perhaps are, are ready to get engaged. There's there's maybe certain things that we th- we're going to do it, but we have some things in our mind that we're thinking about. And I don't know. So I think about I've been married 29 years and I, how I was in year five and 10 was pretty immature in, in a number of ways. And it just takes time to grow as self in the midst of relationships. So um, anyways, I, I just think it's an interesting examination of, of growth as a, of a self in the midst of uh, in, uh, togetherness. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we want to do this then? Well, I, I thought it might be good to start off with Zach and um, talking a little bit about the step from singleness to dating. And then, so I got a question. Do, do you think that Abby is the one or do you believe in general that there's one person who if you get that one wrong you're in trouble so is abby the one or is there the one you may get in trouble for your answer so be careful <laughs> so so let me start first and foremost abby and i have been uh re-watching how i met your mother her for the first time me for maybe the second i guess um and there's just this concept in there that i abhor and it's this idea of the universe oh the universe tells me this or the universe tells me that and and they uh they, I'm going to say this callously, but they sort of whore themselves out to the idea in the sense that like they use it when it suits them and when it doesn't, they don't. And so it's just sort of like this loosey goosey. I'm going to pretend to be about something, but I'm really not. And it's just sort of flaky. And they're also so much on like the universe is going to like point me or give me that one. It's this unqualified belief that there is one person out there to which there will be a complete and full union and also like this implicit like dependency like um a loss of self which we'll get into it feels like to a uh, in a negative sense to become one completely different thing um i don't know if that's so, so neither do you, here nor there do, yeah so do you believe in in that notion and, and so to lead into that i would say no, the one is not an abstract concept of who you're trying to find, but the one is the person to whom you've made the commitment. Um, and I'm sure that boils down from my philosophy of marriage, um, which has led into my philosophy of dating, which is heavily influenced from the way that marriage and dating has been talked about in my family of origin. Uh-huh. But to, to say it simply, the one is a commitment to someone, not necessarily someone who has this special qualification. Hmm. And so you discussed these philosophies, but you didn't really say anything and about that. And so, <laughs> yes. Now that the E word has been labeled out there, now that we're calling each other Fs, <laughs> that is G, good. Mr. F. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But yeah. So I would say Abby is the one, yes. uh, especially because I have um, made a commitment um, yeah, to so, her so, now. So finish that up. Abby is the one, and then finish that sentence. Abby is the one because I have made a commitment to her now, which will, and Alex and I and you earlier talked about the C word covenant, you know, has these theological implications Mm -hmm. and other things. But that is to say that will lead to the covenant of marriage um, as held by my theological and moral and religious beliefs. 
Interesting. So is love a feeling or a choice? It's an action. Yeah. Um, I, I really like, uh, there's this, this great guy, Mike Costelli, Google him. Um, but I don't know what you'll find, but, uh, <laughs> 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 but, uh, he, he says this thing where like love is wanting the ultimate best for someone, um, which is an action. And it's saying like, um, and that's like, that's a very philosophical thing. What is the ultimate, you know, um, if you believe in something, if you have faith, then it probably ties into that. Uh, I, I haven't thought too much through what that means outside of a, a deeply held faith commitment, mm-hmm. what it means to look towards the ultimate best. But uh, there's this implicit definition uh, requisite that says, I need to find humility. I need to put someone before myself. And that's what this commitment primarily entails. This what this love thing is. It's putting someone else's needs, desires, growth, their best before my own and working towards that. And does that, that include being able and willing to show your full self to somebody? Uh, certainly. Um, I think it involves honesty. Uh, my mom, part, part of the way that I view marriage, she's said on many occasions, you know, I just don't understand this concept of um, premarital counseling because you've already made the commitment to marry someone. So what are you really going to upturn or are you really going to, when you find out this thing or that thing, are you really going to be able to walk away from that commitment? Are you going to have, she, she wouldn't say that, but the balls to do that. Right. And I think she's right in large regard, a lot of things that need to be discussed that get discussed in premarital counseling are things that should be discussed before you consider marriage or make that commitment. That is to say financial decisions, how you spend your money, kids stuff, you know, where you're going to spend holidays. Not to say that those are make or break it decisions, Mm -hmm. but during those conversations, like you're going to find out the things that are going to pain and stress your marriage the most speaking Mm. from absolutely no real experience. (laughs) So those are advice. I mean, is that an advice giving session then? Is that what we're talking about when it comes to this uh, pre I really like, I imagine it's mostly just someone helping you mine for the problem areas uh, or mm. just gaining some perspective on what's going to cause issues or the things that you haven't thought through that you should. <laughs> Sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, hearing that says, okay, yeah, that's humbling but it's also saying like here's everything you're going to fail at you know um and maybe it's a dose of reality now uh, a side note i don't think that's really a thing outside of churches is it i have no idea what do you mean by a thing premarital counseling uh i don't know the answer to that question Now, now that i'm thinking about it typically it's the pastor saying i'm a part of this church or this organization you're either going to have premarital counseling with me or with someone from the organization so that hmm. we can affirm your relationship and commitment as being in line with our beliefs as and definitions you know we've talked in the past about um uh two episodes ago uh why societies fail we talk about how marriage 
is become something that is defined differently between families, between um, moral institutions, churches, and by the state. And we use the same word marriage to refer to potentially different sets of roles and mm-hmm. responsibilities and commitments. And that has made it difficult as um, social tides have turned, as just a lot of things have become fused, such as government benefits mm-hmm. and all this. And so I, I'm sure there are listeners that are thinking, huh, like, I didn't know that people went through premarriage counseling, premarital counseling. I thought they just like got hitched in a casino in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I appreciate the conversational nature of this podcast uh, for our listeners who might be looking for some teachings on Bowen theory or here's the three steps to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, our website has some of those links and information that's helpful for some of the background, but it's just three guys sitting around drinking. We're just chatting and talking about what's on our minds mm-hmm. and it's fluid. I, 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 so I'm thinking about the theory and Bowen theory and it talks about family of origin and what we learn in our family of origin impacts us going forward. And, you know, we talked about Abram earlier and I remember, uh, Abram who had no really interest in Bowen theory at all. But do you guys, do you remember what caused him to say, I need to think about this because he forecasted in the future that one day, do you remember this? Mm-hmm. What was what was his what was his impetus to say I got to work on myself because one day I want to be a father. I want to be a father. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And then he realized that his own relationship with his father was going to impact his ability to be a father going forward. And so he worked on intentionally trying to to restore that relationship and really was able to do that before his father passed away. So what I'm wondering is in our own family of origins, Mm -hmm. you mentioned about your mom and some conversations you have, uh, what have you learned in your family of origin as it relates to relationships? It can be dating relationships. It can be friendships. Uh, What are some things that you've taken away that you observed? Um, And so think about that for a second. It may not come to you right away, but what comes to mind of this is what I observed and it's impacted me and I've made different decisions or whatnot. So anything come to mind? Well, um, as the single guy here, I don't, you know, I'm still in the dating, um, mind frame, but you know, I've dated a lot, um, within, you know, from when I started dating till now, you know, I, I, I've been a different person throughout. And so the things that I've learned from my family of origin about, specifically romantic relationships has changed over time as I've changed over time. In addition to my parents changing over time. So, uh, I know my perspective, um, towards my parents' relationship has changed one as I matured more and as they've matured more. So I've been able to gain appreciation for the relationship, their relationship over time that I didn't realize until I actually left my household. So like getting up in that tree is what we talk about with Bowen Family Systems Theory. Until I was able to have a different perspective on their relationship and start to understand that more. How did you get that different perspective? Jeez. Uh, um, through a lot of error. Okay. <laughs> through a lot of messiness. And so um, me specifically working on myself and my relationship, especially with my mother, but also my father working on those relationships to be in specific roles to where I was a son and not looking, looked at as 
uh, an advice giver or a fixer or something that was inappropriate really within a relationship um, as that role. And so me exploring those and going through those tough times has really helped me understand relationships better to a point to now what I'm excited about um, when I, when I'm in a relationship and what I'm looking for is somebody who is willing to go through those tough discussions and be able to converse about things without being so attached to a certain outcome at the end. I really believe in this and this is, you know, it's almost like this is the, the hill that I'm going to die on when in, in reality, you, there are guiding principles, yes. Um, and as faith-based gentlemen here, we have certain principles that we would say, I'm not willing to go, this is, you know, this, I'm definitely dying on this hill. But there are a plethora of things within church doctrine, whatever your religion is, that, that you could say, these are the minors here. And we can have an actual discussion about this with each other. We don't have to agree. We could actually disagree and still learn a lot about each other and about the certain topic we're talking about. Just much like in a way that we're talking about now, even though all three of us here have a similar outlook on things, I would say, to a certain degree. But when you get in relationships, and you guys can talk more about this because my dating relationships have been kind of weird over time. That I, as I say that, that's kind of that could lead into a lot of different directions. But as I go through these dating relationships... I've grown more appreciation for being able to discuss openly and not being so held so bent on, man, we have to believe this and this and this and this. Everything's got to be the same. Kind of like what you're going back to where you're talking about, like, this is the one person. Mm -hmm. We got to have all of these things in common, you know, Um, and it's not like that. Uh, So I, I, I was thinking what I heard you say was that you made an intentional effort to grow yourself up. And that allowed you to have a wider perspective on your parents as people Mm -hmm. and allowed you to, here's the words you use, gain an appreciation for their relationship and have a different perspective. And so as we talk about relationships from three different perspectives, single, engaged, married, and we're talking about romantic relationships, but this would be true, true for friendships. You know, David Snarch's book, Passionate Marriage, the essence of that book is that if I can work on my own maturity, all my relationships get better. Now, that, that book gets into sex therapy and, and, and all of that, but one of the manifestations of a healthy marriage is in the bedroom. And to focus on the bedroom of getting better there, it completely misses the point of instead working on myself as a person and then all my relationships get better with friends, with relatives, with my children and with my wife. And I, and I think that that's an example that you shared where that is true. So so you say making myself better. What does that mean within this romantic relationship? What what do you can you give me a tangible evidence or example of what that means? Uh, I I think it's needing your spouse less. So I think over time for my wife, I've needed her. So I can think of an example where I was leading a Bible study community group type thing and it didn't go particularly well. And I felt like my wife wasn't, 
she didn't really participate. She could have jumped in to save me and she didn't. And I was crushed by that. And I was just so upset. And I remember crying like, I need you to be there for me. I need you to come through for me. So I think early in our marriage, I had this desperate need for her to be something for me. And I think as one matures, there's just that less of that desperate borrowing self um, because I've tried to work on developing myself. doesn't mean I don't have wishes, desires, requests, and hopes, but when that outcome doesn't happen, I, I'm able to stand on my own two feet more than I used to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. Would it have made a difference to talk to your wife before you did that and say, look, I'm really struggling with this, and so could you just, you know, if I'm struggling through this, could you interject here would that I mean just yeah, even no. having the the thoughtfulness to think through that before you yeah so that. so so in in the theory it has the iceberg and so kind of below the surface is what we spend time talking about you know underneath in the in the emotional sphere but you've just given a rational sphere like a very practical mm-hmm. this is what I an I statement this is what would be helpful for me mm-hmm. you know I, I'm sensing going into the study that it may not go so well or the last time it didn't go so well if you don't mind, you know, jumping in or something, mm-hmm. I could, this is what I need from you. This yeah. is what I'm asking of you. I think that's really, really useful. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, sometimes I wonder about, this is you know, talking about solid self in relationships, romantic relationships, I think is fascinating to me because it's a, as we d- discussed earlier before we did this podcast, it's a dance, you know, what, what is this dance? And we'll explore that here in a second, but you know, there's almost to me, it's almost, I know it to be true, but there's a, a, an aura of it of like, when you said I, I need her less and less where you're like, Oh, you know, like, I don't know, like in my mind, I could, I could feel myself thinking that, but, but it's not, I, I don't think that's the nature of what you're talking about here in some ways of like, I really don't need you or want you around. That's not what we're talking about at all. So maybe uh, maybe parse that out a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I, I think what I'm saying is um, I don't need you to behave or act in a certain way for me to be complete. Mm-hmm. That if you don't come through the way I'm hoping you do and you've hit a really important point, how can I come through for you if you've never stated the way you want me to come through for you with that <laughs> with that real rational sphere request. Um, but in spite of all that, if, if my wife knows what I wish or wanted and doesn't come through for me, I'm not crushed. Mm-hmm. I'm not demanding or upset or doesn't mean I couldn't convey disappointment or, you know, all of that, but it's not being wedded to that outcome and needing that person to come through for me. And does that change over time because of your homeostasis changing? Because you learn from each other more and you can read each other better? I think so. I, I think it's it's a dance. It's, it, it is. It's it's when you're with someone for a longer period of time, you, you start to, I'm going to use your words, gain appreciation for, for their relationship. You know, Bowen talked about one of the, his quotes that I like to say a lot is that there are no angels or devils in a family, that everyone's doing the best they can with yeah. what they're up against. And my wife has her own challenges um, in her own family of origin, as do I. And if you can have an appreciation of that, and you can see people as human beings, um, I think it, it, the ex, the expectation that they have to come through just is less, and it puts less pressure on them to be 
to perform or be a certain person. Hmm. And I know Zach that you and Abby have really worked on this specific thing within your relationship. You and I have discussed this and you know, you've discussed with Abby quite a bit about maybe not this direct, but can maybe you speak about this exact topic of, you know, the solid self and, and needing and all of that stuff. Um, so just to, to rewind a, quite a bit, when I first started dating Abby was around the time I discovered Bowen's theory. And so it was something that resonated with me in that a lot of its um, precepts and the practicalities and the way of thinking resonated with ways that I already thought and ways that I already behaved and even ways that I had been taught to behave as an RA through conflict resolution and all that. And so I, I start dating Abby and I'm suddenly under this extreme emotional strain mm-hmm. of another person's thoughts and feelings. And it, it was just a perfect time to have the tool of Bowen's theory tossed into my belt because it helped me to think through the ways that she was feeling and that the ways that I was feeling because I went, I think you guys, as well as you know me, would say I'm a pretty easygoing person. Mm-hmm. And I went from feeling like I was at a zero operating level you know things just rolled off me you know I go with the flows to operating at least at a six or a seven not for any actual reasons other than the fact that I was managing a new relationship that was significant to me and so through this whole process I I spent a lot of intentional time thinking okay so as this relationship matures and continues like what am I going to expect from her before we go from dating to um, marriage. What does it look like for this relationship to mature for me to go to that next stage of commitment? Um, because I, I intentionally view dating not as a funnel into marriage necessarily, but sort of a step on the journey in the sense that there will be and should be an intentional shift, a changing of gears of something um, that should be conscious. It's It shouldn't necessarily be something that flows in. Um, it, in so much as I wanted to say, well, what am I expecting of myself as a married person? What is something I'm expecting from her as a married person if this goes to that point? And that led to a lot of introspection for myself, a lot of conversations with her. Hey, this is how I perceive you. This is how I perceive myself. This is sort of what my expectations were. This is what maybe they should be. Um, so it was very explicit. Um, mm. And interestingly enough, especially over the past year, I would say that I, I've been ready to marry her for a while. But it just, it's been a year of anxiety for her, you know, as Bowen's theory describes it. There's been um, two unexpected deaths in her life. One of them was someone I was cl- close-ish with as well, and she was even closer to. And, and so that was a, a rocking experience, and then it led into her parents' separation. And then um, she went into what we affectionately call her first uh, year of hell as a teacher. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Just a very trying time, very uh, growing, and um, really giving me an appreciation, a a new appreciation over this past season of understanding as we're talking about needing other people to act or behave or support you in a certain way. We're just realizing 
the benefits of having an anxiety dampened system because the times where she grew leaps and bounds was over winter break when she was able to take a pause from it all and it made it a lot of these things acute but it really really helped her to grow as much as two weeks away from students can help and then again it's spring break and it was just like this breakthrough and um all that to say is that led to a lot of conversations throughout the entire duration of our relationship. I've gone into this thinking, I want to do this the first time the way I want to do it 25 years from now. You know, if I want to have a conversation about finances, um, it's going to be awkward now and I'm going to go into a little extra detail to explain why I'm talking about finances in this way and I'm going to try and do it appropriately, but I'm going to do it now in the same way that I'm going to try and do it 25 years from now, even if your roles and responsibilities aren't quite the same. I don't know if that's the best example, (laughs) but you know, it is, I think the number one reason that couples that people divorce or separate. And so it's up there. And so, you know, definitely something you should discuss before marriage. Hint, hint to anyone listening. (laughs) Interesting. There's a lot of, I mean, intentionality, I think is the, the word that you use right from the beginning. And, and that's, that's what John and I discuss here. We're talking about, relationships too is being intentional straight up straightforward and so I've noticed that when I've started as my dating journey has moved on my intentionality has come to the forefront especially in when you start dating somebody right from the beginning what do you mean by intentionality so like um not trying to read somebody just asking them straightforward or tell them directly you know, this is how I feel about this, or how do you feel about this, or being curious and open, but also making sure that you tell your complete thoughts. Uh, I, I think it's really easy to hide yourself, so that way you're not hurting the other person, or you won't lose the interest of the other person, or they won't like you as much, or, you know, those types of things, so. Yeah. And those differences, my guess, gentlemen, I know you could tell me, but I, I, this is the way I feel, is those differences within somebody else makes them more intriguing. Mm. And, and, and in my case, I feel like it's it's almost more attractive to me to know that somebody's different because that's something I could think about and I can talk to them about. And they're, they're different for a reason. I mean, they're, they're, meaning it's part of the story. Everyone's got a story and yeah. it's part of that. Uh, yeah, it, it, a lot of complexity, Yeah, right? It's and the third point on the triangle we can talk about. Yeah, third point <laughs> on the triangle. Uh, when, when Zach, when you were talking about separate, so you were separate, not single, and then you started dating, so there's togetherness. Yeah. And so you were calm as a separate person, and then you now are in a relationship with Abby. There's togetherness. And you mentioned, I think I heard you say, you just sensed higher anxiety because now you had thoughts and feelings connected to another. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. And, and one of the things I've, I've been reading through is this, this cycle that we're on as people in relationships. So, so we start off separate and then together and then where there's togetherness, there's going to be conflict. And, and then where there's conflict, there tends to be distance people distance from one another. Mm-hmm. And then after a period of time, there's too much separateness and then there's makeup, whatever that looks like. And then there's togetherness and then there's conflict and then there's distance. And, and that's just the ebb and flow of a relationship. We talked about the dance earlier. And I think from my perspective, um, as a husband and even as a father of trying to mitigate that 
roller coaster of conflict and separateness and cut off, which can be extreme. And I can think of John Barth talking about it in our last podcast about how he reacted to his children and how he was trying to be more thoughtful and grew in those areas. So I think as a person in all of our relationships, this goes back to what you spoke of earlier, Alex, about trying to be growing yourself up in that relationship with mom and dad. It just causes that yin and yang that I just walked through to just be less extreme. It becomes less pronounced in terms of its depth and height Mm. and it becomes less, uh, the time period is shortened. So the relationship becomes more even And if there's one thing, speaking from a father, that a child needs to thrive or is helpful to thrive is a relationship that's stable, that they come home to the same parent each and every day in general. I think that's really key. Mm -hmm. And so, Zach, something that John touched on here is conflict, and I know that's something that you like to talk about. And we actually talked about in a podcast not, not so long ago. So... Why is that important to do that correctly? And what does that look like? Thinking through the, the, the dependent view of relationships that we often see in um, media and other things, it's very exciting. The romance and love is very acute, and it leads into a dependence. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine that a lot of what people aren't explicitly equipped to do in conflict is have conflict. It's something that happens. It's not something that you control or engage in, you know, um, little practical things like find a neutral time, like, um, find ways to separate yourself to, to cool off emotionally and think through and then find ways to re-engage. Don't just let it become chronic. You know, those sorts of things are skills that have to be developed because, you know, the red blinders of rage, not that all conflicts are like that, but there are blinders that are put on from emotionality and it's something that needs to be intentionally sought after. And the way that that looks is conflict can be viewed as bad sometimes because especially when you have things that are deeply held beliefs, guiding principles, um, you end up saying, well, am I supposed, we're, we're supposed to be one, like this codependent, like we're supposed to agree on everything or at least largely agree on things. We're supposed to be on the same team, constant supporters, um, emotionally there for one another, you know, all of this intertwined together. And so it's, how do I resolve that? Well, to maintain that, I got to compromise. I have to say, this is something that I'm just going to have to let go. It's not something that I can say, you believe this, I believe that. Let's let's keep being our own persons together. It's let's be this new thing mm-hmm. that isn't really defined by anything uh, because of the compromise because of. And so all that to say is I think conflict is especially important because there are some practical elements to it that can make it easier, but especially in so much as the way that it helps you to define yourself and to define um the people that are significant to you and to show that they're significant to you by going through these acute times and still remaining connected after that's a skill and it's also something that will be practiced over the course of any relationship especially i imagine 
with all my experience through marriage. Now, I, I'm, I'm interested in this amalgamation you talked about. So this compromising and creating a new thing. You, you even used the word, we've got to be on the same team, which when I hear that, I, a little piece of me like cries inside, like, oh, that's not a good... <laughs> like, if we're talking about being on the same team, well, clearly, yeah, we're dating, we should, you know. But, like, when those words come out, I always think, ugh. So... This amalgamation that you talk about of like now something different, is that just a, a buildup of chronic anxiety then? I mean, that's, that, is that what it, that could be then? Like we're not actually doing what you said and being our separate selves. We're just transforming it into something else that maybe I don't even actually agree with, but this is where we're going and this is how we're going to somehow stay connected. Is that a buildup of chronic anxiety? What do you guys think? It's the building of chronic anxiety. If I understand you correctly, it's it's saying these are things that we're fighting about. And man, fighting is just so hard. I don't want to fight anymore. Oh gosh, I don't want to fight anymore. Let's just drop it. Sure, you're right. And then the, the way I always imagine it playing out in my head is two weeks later, three weeks later, we're fighting about something else. Well, you remember that time? <laughs> I didn't say anything, but like, gosh darn it. Man, oh man, I still disagree with you. And so now mm -hmm. it's not just one thing, it's two things, and that's the definition of chronic anxiety. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah, because when you said that, that's, that's where my mind directly went to. So we've had conversations, um, our conversation with Avram sort of tied into this a little bit, but like to start a relationship with someone, you, you have to find some sort of similarity. There has to be something that draws you together, mm -hmm. right? And so like... In that similarity, those differences, they're just, they're sexy, right? And as you grow in that relationship, you firm up those similarities and those differences will start to change and you reach a, a different stage of saying like, hmm, like you're different from me and this is actually going to be hard to resolve because I have to find a way to say this is something I truly believe. This is something I don't truly believe. This is something that's important to me. This is something that's not important to me. And this is interesting because Avram uh, talks about using marriage as a differentiating mechanism. And I think that that's interesting in so much as, John, you were talking about icebergs. You can see the tiny rational tip at the top, but beneath the surface of the waters, this monstrous emotional side of things that needs addressed, that needs thought through, that is why we have reactions and responses you know it's what you do when you do it not something that you've thought through and then do and so uh, it's funny to me because I just imagine an iceberg smashing into an iceberg and then just making the best of it oh this happened like let's grow through this and uh, I do think that Avram's thought on marriage being something which can be differentiating is so true. I'm not sure I fully agree with him proposing it as a mechanism, <laughs> a good mechanism for self-differentiation. I'm not sure I'm going to walk up to my buddies who I'm, you know, constantly preaching Bowen's theory at and say, you know what you need to do to be a better person? You should go get married. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, I, I think the hardest relationship this is my perspective, period, is marriage. And so if I'm going to work on growing myself up, which I think we would agree is the number one thing I can do to have better relationships, where is it the hardest to do that is in a marriage? Certainly. I think there's truth to that.
So, uh, gentlemen, any last thoughts on different perspectives on relationships, things you want to share with our listeners? I, mean, I think you nailed it with, with growing yourself up. <clears throat> Continually working on that is going to really make a difference. <clears throat> um, and it's going to be rocky. I was thinking of your two uh, icebergs crashing into each other. Um, and I was thinking if you wanted to actually meld those two icebergs together in a marriage, this sounds so ridiculous, but just think, th- I mean, just on a, on a scientific level, what would need to happen? Well, they're not going to just meld together because they're both two frozen bodies, right? What needs to happen? Pressure. Right. And also melting and then refreezing. So those things, those are times of the conflict. Those are the times of those. I mean, we even talked to John Barth and he talked about how man going through those hard times really changed me. My guess, I don't know. So you guys, well, I do know. I, I Not through romantic relationships, but through other relationships. When it has been the hardest and we've dealt through that conflict and really supported each other the way that was appropriate and healthy, it's only become stronger through that. And so I, I can see and I'm envious of your guys' relationships because it's really something that is cherished and there's a reason why people get married. <laughs> Um, and it seems to be, if, if you look at it that maybe I'm just guessing here, but it seems to be those moments. Yes. I don't want to go through those tough times, but man, there's something about living a life with somebody else to go through those tough things and come through the other side and really grow appreciation, appreciation of one another, grow as people, um, and, and, and that whole bit. And so I, I think there's something to that that definitely is attractive to me. Anything Zach to finalize on this high-level topic of maintaining self in a significant relationship. uh, There's just something to be said about the lens inward uh, will turn you outwards in the sense of like when you start to look at yourself and see the way that you relate to other people, like that's really an opportunity for you to say what is happening now and what should be happening it's this self-defining nature that affects your relationships that we talk about selfish uh self-full i I don't know what other words we used to describe it but it, it doesn't have this negative connotation of i'm putting myself first but it it really has this connotation of saying uh, this denotation of saying i am this kind of person now and the kind of person I want to be that it affects all of my relationships and so this this idea of differentiation this idea of relating to one another of forming a self that's significant and thoughtfully held um, that's examined against other things and and still kept but not grasped so tightly that that you lose perspective. Uh, I think that that plays a big part in being able to have and sustain significant healthy relationships, especially with um, the trying times of what we're calling one of the most significant relationships, the one of a spouse. John, what do you think? Yeah, I I would think for our listeners, there's some of you, some of us at times that we have conflictual relationships. And I think the question is that when anxiety rises, how do you respond? Um, And where did you learn that behavior? So I think... I think there, if there's one thing that in piece of advice that I've, I've read and tried to implement in my own life is to go back into those family relationships and be different. So, 
uh, people that are in the family that are difficult, um, where there's been challenging to try to be more thoughtful and relating to them, to see them in your words, Alex, to get a greater appreciation, a wider perspective. I think that work will then benefit in relationships going forward. I think there's truth to that. As a final, final word here a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> the emotional world, what you talked about with Abram about like how you get into a relationship. Oh no, snart. She said snart. You know, when you get married, everything's not perfect. What, what is it? Well, I, I think he said everybody gets married, married for, the for the wrong, wrong reasons. reasons. Yes, yeah, because there's, you know, as humans, there's, there's an emotional mm-hmm. piece to it. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that, that portion's interesting. And actually, I would, I would say if there's, it would be great to have a woman's perspective on this too. Mm-hmm. And so um, perhaps we should have some sort of lady on to talk with us. I, I am almost certain that this is going to be a topic that we want to discuss again because um, it's just so prevalent in a lot of people's lives. And so so if you are that lady and you would like to come on here, just, you know, give us a little, little email or, you know, something like that. So great. Well, gentlemen, thanks for a good conversation mm-hmm. and found it helpful. And oh, uh, yeah. So any parting thoughts for our listeners on terms of how to connect with us? Yep. Go to ofleadership.com and we got our email on there, Twitter, Facebook. Sign up for our email list. Yeah. You can get a prize. Yeah, if you are one of the first people to click the link in our last newsletter, beware, you may win a prize. (laughs) A significant prize. Yes, very significant. And our definition of significant and yours may in fact be different. Yes, uh uh self-different. Well, that wraps up episode 53. I'm John. I'm Alex. And I'm Zach. Thanks for listening. See you around. Adios.